Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm Coach Andrew Poritz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people to discover and fulfill their passions and greatness. My mission, to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams, and with my coaching, help you to manifest those dreams into reality. You can visit my website at www.myfuturecoach.com and follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash coachandrew. If you're listening live and you have a question, the phone number here is 646-929-2893. You'll be able to listen to the show on the phone, and if you press number one, I'll know you have a question. We also will be having a live chat room on the show page. You can feel free to join in there. My guest tonight is Ellen Joven, a grammar freak, the creator of the website Words and Worlds of New York, and a founder and principal of Syntaxis, a communication skills training firm based in New York City. She has a BA in German from Harvard and an MA in comparative literature from UCLA. Ellen can often be found walking or running around the city doing language lessons on her phone, a long-term habit that ultimately led to her joining the accomplished English polyglots Richard Simcott and Alex Rawlings to organize the first polyglot conference ever in North America, and that will be happening on October 10 and 11, where hundreds of sometimes shockingly multilingual people will descend on the SBA Theater in Manhattan for two days of language talks and linguistic camaraderie. This event is open to anyone who loves language, and all you have to do is register, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Ellen, are you with me? I am. <laughs> Thank you uh, for well, having welcome. me. My Thank pleasure. you so much. My pleasure. So uh, you are, you're a polyglot. Um, you make it sound like something um, dangerous. <laughs> yes, dangerous. <laughs> um, I guess I am. Yes, I I. I am one of those. Um, I speak multiple languages. I feel I should say that up front so it doesn't sound quite so alarming. <laughs> How many languages do you currently speak? Um, I'm not 100% sure because I haven't tested my, my Portuguese lately, but I would guess, uh, excluding English, probably 5 or 4.5. What languages are there? Uh, Spanish, French, German, Italian, and then my my weaker one is Portuguese. And then I speak bits and pieces of about um, 10 to 12 others. Okay. Well, here, have a, I have a little something for you. Here is something in German. Guten Abend. Guten Abend. Wie geht's? <laughs> How about the same thing in French? Bonsoir. <laughs> that's very good. You're doing really well. Thank you very much. Of course, that's really me. Uh, let's <laughs> see. I have a couple of more. Um, let's see if you can tell me what language this is. Labas vakaras. Can I hear that again? Yes, you can. Labas vakaras. I don't know. That's. Uh, I didn't know either until I, I, I found it. Lithuanian. Oh, good. Is that that's also good night? It's all the same word. That's correct. And now remember, we heard the 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 German. That the, I've discovered that the Yiddish is pretty similar. Yeah, that's a nice thing about Yiddish. It's actually a good way to learn the Hebrew alphabet if you already know German, because you can sort of a lot of it you can sound out sort of similar. Now, if your name were Caesar. 
you might hear this. Bonum whisper. Boy, you are really you did some impressive homework. I'm really Thank you very much. I just thought I'd have a little little bit of fun. <laughs> Hail Caesar and his good night uh uh speaking. That's, that's So yeah, that's uh, I I actually found um, a couple of sites where we can download gazillions of little files and learn words and phrases, uh, literally hundreds of them. That's what, well, that's what's so great about the Internet now is that you can get all these sound clips. I, it, it must have just been so much harder years ago because now I wanna, I, if I, if I want to hear how something sounds in another language, I just go to a website and look it up. That's right. And in the old days, you would have to say what, and now you just press the button and it could say it again. No, you would first have to get on a horse and then ride to a <laughs> ship and then cross the ocean and then find someone and then say what. Exactly. And, you know, in those <laughs> that, days, Uber, Uber was a lot of showing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that was considerably more time-consuming. That's right. So we we have we have saved lots of time and money. That's right. So uh, a polyglot. What? So a polyglot is somebody who speaks multiple languages, correct? Right. And one question I I get a lot is how many do you have to speak? And that's a question <laughs> that um, doesn't. It doesn't often get answered to people's satisfaction. I think um, generally, I don't think that many people use the term until you get to four, but technically mm-hmm. I guess it's anything that's a multiple, really, that's not one. You have the monoglot, you have the polyglot, and there's not really, uh, and then I guess bilingual in between maybe. So it's really like if you went, walked into a polyglot bar, is it like a two-language minimum? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so now we, now I got that. That's very good. You know, bars are hard places for that kind of stuff because if you, I kind of, I thrive in optimal sound conditions. So if I go into a really, really noisy room and have, to, I, I had this experience in, in Europe at a polyglot event. We were in a bar with, you know, really, really loud music. And then people were talking to each other in all random languages. And it was, um, it was kind of hard work. A cacophony of of language. Oh, I love that word. That's a nice word. I, I just I love. I love words it just generally. For you. <laughs> <laughs> you must be fun with doing um, uh, word games. I would imagine. I love. Well, I I have to stay away from. I don't really like games like Scrabble, but I love Boggle, and I stay away from it because I'm addictive and I get mm-hmm. kind of crazy. And and why don't you like Scrabble? Um, because it's slow, and I don't like using the timer either. I don't know. There's something uh, more fulfilling about Boggle. Okay. It's just. Have you played it? I I I feel that I did, and I don't recall. It just sounds like something I must have done at some time, but not in in recent memory. It's a good and one. I, it's 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 faster pace, and there's more. Um, there's more turnover, so I just mm. like it better. But I'm kind of a grumpy loser. <laughs> ah, I'm addicted to words with friends, by the way. Oh, you are? I see. Yeah. I've stayed away from that because I just think I'll be happier if I if I don't get involved in that. You 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 might because I sometimes I can't I just can't leave the house because I have another five games. To are you serious? Oh my god! <laughs> so no, I got I got to have these moves cleared before I before I get out of here. I'm looking as I'm talking to you. I'm looking at these giant stacks of books 
um, mm-hmm. for all these languages that I haven't studied, like Yoruba, Albanian, Bulgarian, Slovak. Um, they're they're piled high in my office because we're going to be. Um, yeah, I got some of these for the for the uh, polyglot conference that's coming up. But it's I'm sort of eyeing them as I'm talking to you, thinking about all the things that I haven't done at all yet. Did 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 you did you mention Czech? Did I I, I didn't hear Czech, did I? Um, just now, no. I haven't okay. studied it, but I have. I do have a book. <laughs> yeah, in these stacks, I have a book for it. I I say that because of this. Dobrý večer. <laughs> that is clearly a that's Slavic language. That's positively my last one, by the way. That that I can hear the Slavic in that. <laughs> so, um, you have this. Tell me about this conference that's happening. Well, it's going to be a mad rush of polyglots um, from all over the world. We have people coming from as far away as Asia, Australia, and so they're coming thousands of miles to New York City to nerd out about language for two days. Um, We have a series of language talks from people in all linguistic walks of life, everyone from academics to kind of of, um, lifelong uh, language learners to... um, to people to people who just use their languages in really interesting ways at work. Um, so we're going to descend on the SVA Theater in um, Chelsea and just go crazy talking about language. People put their 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 these um, badges. Everyone has a badge. So besides the mm-hmm. name, they put lists of languages on there that they they can be spoken to in. Oh, and wow. some of them get some of them get kind of crazy. I mean, you're looking at these tags and. Some some people just have proficiency in so many languages, it's unreal. And so you can just end up talking to someone at random in the hallway, you know, speak, end up speaking Chinese to a Russian or whatever. You know, you, you use the, the the name tags to direct you about what to what you can what you can start out in. It's kind of it's kind of it's a little bit like playing ping pong with languages because you don't know what's going to come at you. Mm. Now, uh, will, the, will the speakers be speaking in different languages? Because we have um, large spaces here, and um, if you have if you have 300 people in a room, the one language that you can really count on people knowing is English. So most of the uh-huh. talks are going to be in English. Um, we have we have one that will be in French with um, some African languages, um, but generally they're going to be in English, and people will be able to ask questions, and there will be discussion um, probably in multiple languages. I've seen that happen before, and in, in polyglot events and then in the in the hallways anything is fair game anything could happen really yes anything (laughs) anything can happen here in polyglot (laughs) and so um there will be there'll be different translators or or you're on your own oh you're on your own okay um that's actually a fun part of it because um I mean, I like I like hearing people. You know, I like going to a, a, a talk, and then someone will just ask a question in a totally different language, and it's sort of like there's a little bit of bravado about this. You know, there's some um, I I could say almost machismo about it. Uh, you know, 
being able to understand whatever anyone says, no matter what they say it in. But there's a chain, no matter what, there's always a chain of languages. So if someone speaks a language that, that someone else doesn't know, then the person next to whoever was speaking might be able to be the, the go-between into a, into a new language. So you, mm-hmm. you, don't, you, you don't need translators because you basically have um, dozens and dozens of built-in translators, on top of which we also have regular professional translators who will be attending the event. It's I mean they're definitely part of the the community of um of uh committed language learners. Uh, you know, speaking of translators, one of the things that's happened in the last few years is te- technology has given us some tools for people who don't know languages to at least do some sort of communication and other languages. I mean, I'm sure you've seen things like Google Translate or Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Which, um, I don't know if you ever watched the original Star Trek. <laughs> well, a little bit. I'm not much of a Trekkie. But a, lot okay. of polyglot, but a lot of polyglots are. There are quite a few Trekkies. I would imagine some of them might actually know Klingon and things like that. They do. <laughs> makes me very happy to hear, by the way. <laughs> Um, but I, I asked that because it, you know one of the things they had, and it was really a, 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 a genius uh, plot device to make it possible to have the show. It wasn't so much that they were thinking like what inventions should we make, but they had a universal translator thing, and it was you I don't know you wouldn't even that, see really? it. They, yeah, so the, this is how everybody was able to uh, communicate, no matter what planet they were on. They somehow managed to talk. And um, like nobody seemed to have a problem. That's because they they had these little communicator devices that automatically translated. And it was one of the like the dreams of the future was the universal translator. And the, I guess a small version of that is like it is you know you can download the you know the Google app, and um, it's kind of fun to I've I've done that. And it's uh, I'm sure you know it's uh, not always so accurate. Right, it varies a lot from language to language, so mm-hmm. um, there there are various factors. So if the word order is the same, that seems to help. If um, right. uh, I think it's also based on kind of volume that has been passed, uh, volume of um, material that's been passed through the translator. Mm-hmm. So the thing gets refined over time. I think this is true. I'm not that actually. I I think I should stop guessing how this might work, but um, but I've noticed that. There's there are a lot of complaints about the accuracy of Google Translate, and I I think um, I'm just glad that there is anything at all that can help with that kind of stuff because in certain languages you can really get a very good translation, and that's a wonderful thing. It doesn't render um, irrelevant people who mm-hmm. have uh, who have actual human knowledge of the language. They're still super helpful, but I mean, how great to be able at least to have a, a quick clue. Um, when you're walking down the street about what something means, it makes a big difference. And and now you can even you can speak into it and 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 and, and will speak the other language to the other I person. I know. I I love that stuff. I I mean I just love being able to hear how words that I can't even begin to read. You know, if they have a different writing system or something, you can get Google to tell you how to how to pronounce it. That's mm-hmm. great. Uh, I no I I don't know if you were, were a Monty Python fan at all, but. <laughs> <laughs> There was one that just popped into my head thinking about the, the, the Turkish-English dictionary that somebody had, and it was 
really wrong, very, very wrong, and having people say things like, may I fondle your buttocks when they were trying to say, uh, how do I cross the street, that kind of a thing. So it's, yeah, well, I mean, that kind of stuff definitely happens. I have a little bit of anxiety about it, but I try to just go with it. I was taking around these um, these French tourists. I do this thing where I volunteer for Big Apple Greeter, which is a it's a volunteer organization. When visitors come to New York, um, you it, these volunteers will take them around the city to show them a slice of life uh, in New York City. You know, like an authentic slice of life. So they're not they're not um, professional tour guides, but they are people who've lived here and know New York and love it. And I do that to practice my languages. So I take around people in in the languages that I'm working on or studying, and um, I do remember. I I wish I knew what I had said because that would be useful. But apparently, I I accidentally proposed something that sounded like a a threesome when I was taking around these two <laughs> French tourists, and they had a good laugh at my expense. So I hope they enjoyed it. it kind of I guess it would have been bad if they said, "Of course." <laughs> <laughs> but but that kind of stuff happens, and um, I just uh, I I guess. I prob- I'm trying to think whether I-, I think that I mind less than some other people when that that kind of thing happens. I mean, I did, I did, I think I blushed. What can I say? But sure. um, yeah, but um, but in general, I'm probably slightly more uh, of a control freak about just I don't like making five million grammatical errors per sentence. So I'm I'm more probably more concerned about um, things like grammar than I am about the occasional missed idiom. Hmm. Not that I, I I make errors, but I just I, I'm I sort re- of I refuse to believe that. <laughs> um, I make a lot of errors, but it does. I do when I study languages. I really like to learn the grammar, so I have this gigantic mm-hmm. collection of of grammar books, which is not necessarily the way everyone likes to approach languages. But I like reading about the structure, and um, there's something very satisfying about figuring out the anatomy of other languages. I don't know. It makes me understand English better and what's what's unique about it or what's not unique about it, where it came from, and so it makes me understand my own language better. I use my language a lot because I talk a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what languages would you say have like the most commonality among each other? You know, like the Romance languages, et cetera. Yeah, well, I, I mix up. I have a lot of mixing up between. I didn't think this would happen so much because I've known Spanish for a long time. That's probably my strongest language after English. But I definitely have confusion between that and Italian and Portuguese. Less so um, with French because the sounds I find are are different. But I get the grammar mixed up and um, there's a lot of language confusion. So there's a... um, I guess there's a cost in terms of quality of individual languages for me, and this is not unique to me, but my French, for example, is worse than it would be if I just focused. You know, Mm -hmm. I spread my energies out over multiple languages, so it's sort of a bummer, but, um, but but it's still, you sometimes get a little kick from one romance language into another. So you learn a word in one romance language, and then you recognize something similar across the other one. So there are costs, there are benefits, um, let's see what I mean. There, there are definitely similarities among Slavic languages, but I, I don't, 
I I haven't gotten into enough depth with them to know how um, whether they compare in closeness to the Romance languages. But I I know from what I've seen that a lot of the words sound similar, and and some of the grammatical issues are are similar. Mm. It's easier. It tends to be easier if you st- if you don't want to mix up your languages. I, I find that some people are really likely to mix up languages. It's just very hard. The the kind of wall that gets built up is very fragile. Um, if you really don't want that to happen, you should study you know study Greek and Spanish or or study um, study Russian and Chinese, and then you won't have that problem. <laughs> You know, well, an easy line. Just pick up a couple of easy languages like sure. Russian and Chinese. Yeah, easy. Uh, many, they, exactly. The Chinese It'll be a hardly has any characters at all. <laughs> that like you they're practically like the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians. No, but it's right. true, right? You probably wouldn't mix them up at all. So right. that, that's one advantage. There you go. But that it leads me to a, a, another another thought, a related thought, which is like, how do you in your like do you? You know, I know when you when you're speaking in another language, ideally you want to be thinking in that language, correct? That yes. So how do you shift into like if you're a multi-language gal, a polyglot, how do you uh, cr- manage that kind of a shift? You know, this is something that um, gets into neurological issues that mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know that much about, and I don't even know how well understood they are generally. But um, one thing that I've been doing late I, I think a lot of it is practice. One, one thing that I've been doing lately is redoing all these language lessons that I did over the past six years. I, I use these particular audio lessons a lot. I just love them. I take them on my runs and my walks. And um, so I've been redoing them. I've done them in, uh, let's see, for eight, about 19 different languages, and I'll go for a walk in the park, and I'll do one Hebrew lesson, then an Arabic lesson, then a Russian lesson, and then, I don't know, Portuguese or something, What? but something different, or maybe Japanese. Mm-hmm. And there can be, at the beginning, I might have a tiny bit of trouble, like I'll use the Arabic word in Hebrew or the Hebrew word in Russian, but in a in a few moments that kind of shifts, and I'm thinking more fully and having less confusion just with a little bit more time. And I suspect I'm a lot better at it now that I've devoted so much energy to language learning generally than I was before. But I also encounter a lot of people around New York, because there's so many people who have come to English as a non-native language. I I encounter a lot of people who um, tell me that they still translate. You know, they've been here for 20 years, and they still translate from their native language into English. Whenever you hear these stories, it's always someone reporting on what's happening in their own head. So it's difficult to pin down exactly what... What does that mean exactly? I don't think I'm translating. I think that what happens is, it's like if I have um, a thousand words in a new language that I'm studying, it's like I I open a door and I walk into the room where those words are residing, and... I, if I'm trying to communicate, all I can do is look around that room and use the words that are in there. I don't, you know, go outside the room and use English and then try to translate it. I just kind of have a sense of the inventory that's in that room, and it, I might hit a dead end or I might not. And I think some people are more likely maybe, I don't know whether it's by training, by by biology or whatever, but 
they're more likely to try to go outside the room and bring something in, and it doesn't work very well. That's where a lot of people end up making the the most conspicuous grammatical mistakes. You know, they'll translate literally from English into German or something like that. And I, I'm, I hope in the years to come that I start to understand that more because it's very difficult for me to explain to someone how not to resort to translating. Mm. It does really slow you down. So I'm sort of like an infant in the new language. I feel like I know I, I just have to look around and see what I can avail myself of. If I don't know how to say milk, I don't know how to say milk. And it just it's almost like it doesn't even come into my head as a concept in mm-hmm. the new language because that word is not available to me. Now, at one time, they were, they were trying to have uh, the, the, the universal language of Esperanto. Do you have any do you have any comments about Esperanto? One thing that's well one <laughs> one thing that's um interesting to me about Esperanto which I had no idea about before I became aware of this global um language obsessed community is that all you have to do if you want to start a fight in a language group all you have to do is toss the word Esperanto into the ring. <laughs> <laughs> and um so I, I'm an admin of a, a, of a polyglots group, which has 20,000 people in it, um, some of whom are, aren't active, but a lot of them are. And they're, they're every, you know, every month there are fights about Esperanto, and it gets nasty. So you have people on the one side saying, oh, it's so stupid to have this artificial language that has no culture, and then you have the people on the other side pointing out all the culture that's associated with it, because it's been around for a while, and it's a mm-hmm. quite active international community, a very um, connected network of Esperantists. Um, I personally haven't I haven't studied it. I know one word in it. I know to say thank you, and I think that's it, um, Duncan. And um, I might I might study it at some point just because I feel as though it's important to a lot of people I know, and I'd like to know it a little better. There happens to be a new, um, there was a lot of excitement in the language community when Duolingo, this is a a free language website online, so um, people who are interested in inexpensive language tools, um, free is Mm -hmm. definitely inexpensive, they can try it out, Duolingo. Um, I I don't use it that much. I've used that app, I believe. Oh, you have? Yeah. So they they came out with Esperanto and people went nuts. So every time Duolingo comes out with a new language, people freak out all over the world. It's and you hilarious. mean this in a good way? Good way for In a good way. Oh yeah. Okay. And I think okay. I mean I think I'm not positive about this, but I think they're about to have Russian and um finished and I, I think people are losing their minds in mm. in anticipation. Right. But this is I don't know. I guess this is a kick out of the enthusiasm that gets attached to these kinds of um, undertakings because it's so charming. You know, it's not like it's not a bad thing. It's something that's really positive and beautiful that brings people together. Um, and especially when I see I see teenagers who are um, super excited about this stuff. So they're not they're not um, you know running around doing teenager like not you know, things that teenagers get into, they're completely into languages and language learning. And we even have, coming to the conference, some kids who who wrote to us in particular and said, I'm so excited, I want to come, I see you have a cutoff for age, can I come anyway? Um, my parents will bring me. 
So we have someone as young as 13 coming. We have a few, four, we have I think a couple of 14 year olds at least. And these are mm-hmm. these are kids. They're so passionate. Um, and I kind of got see. This is what happens. You mentioned the word Esperanto, and I'm already on to teenage polyglots. <laughs> but but that's but it's like a web that sucks. It sucks you in. Maybe yeah, not but, everyone, but it sucks in a lot of people. It's cool. I uh, actually uh, uh, re- can recall, and, and I'm just reminded of this now. It's sort of uh, it's like a flashback I'm having at this moment. Oh no, people to, have a lot of flashbacks um, when I'm around a lot. Let me flashback, Mia. <laughs> so I was a you know kid when they tried introducing this Esperanto idea, and it predated you. You're not that old. It's been around for a long time. How but, long? Um, I don't know. Like I think it's from the 60s. No, no, it's older than you that. You think it's older than the 60s? Mm-hmm. Well, yep. the, the, there was a big movement. Much older. Really? Okay. Yeah, but I, I can I can believe that there have been moments in um, the 20th century when it was um, when there was more excitement about it than others. Wait, we'll find this. We're we're going to find this out. As we speak, we're going to Google, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, he published so the first book about oh, no, it was 1887. 18, okay, yep. yeah, a little yeah. bit, a little bit, a little bit older than I. Yeah, but it does have it has had moments. I think of greater excitement. I think that 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 period sounds like one when it would probably have been. It kind was of a, a when they uh, when they were thinking like let's make this actually really happen. And so we had in my I think it was my fourth grade class, we had Esperanto time or something. And, uh, and you know, you're funny, talking about the reactions of people, and I remember everybody was kind of annoyed by the whole idea. Oh, really? Yeah, the, most, a lot of the kids were kind of annoyed. Like, it's not even a real language, you know. Come why? Why, why, do, why do you want to do this? I remember nothing about it other than, you know, I mean, I don't remember any words or anything. You know, it wasn't like we took a, a major portion of time, be a couple of, like, maybe a couple of hours so that over the course of the, that time. That grade, but here's something really cool. I wonder if you are you aware that there was an entire movie made in Esperanto? No, but that doesn't surprise me because there's a lot of stuff in Esperanto. I mean, but it's there's a lot. It's a 1966 movie mm-hmm. called Incubus, and oh. it had been lost. Until very recently, nobody had a copy of it. It was just no, not anywhere to be found. And it turned up, and they have re-released it. And the star of this movie, shot entirely in Esperanto, is William Shatner. What? That's right. William Shatner did a movie in Esperanto. So you, ha- you uh, now I have to have it. Oh, my gosh. So you could really see William Shatner overact in another language that nobody oh, come knows. on. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's my ship. That's my, as close as I come to a Shatner you impression. Go, do you go to the conventions? No, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm, don't mistake me for a Trekkie. I'm just, I, I'm just asking. I, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that. No, I have never been to a Star Trek convention, and anytime. I never thought I would was demolished after they uh, Shatner himself completely made fun of it on Saturday Night Live in a very famous episode. But but we digress. We don't want to get lost. I have, in Star I Trek. have multiple I have multiple polyglot Facebook friends who um, are dressed in Star Trek outfits. 
Really? Yes. What I do you mean do. they? You, you, they dress I mean, like normally? They, I don't know if they've. I don't know if they've been to a convention or yeah. what it is. But you know, I just look at their pictures and they're in in a Star Trek thing. Oh, when they're on their Facebook. Mm-hmm. I think you meant you see them in the streets and there they are wearing <laughs> the. Well, I mean. That probably happened at the point when the picture was taken, but no. Well, just remember, no, no, if no, you no, see one just... in a red shirt, that means you're not going to make it past the opening credits. Just letting you know that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, <laughs> yeah, it hasn't, I haven't encountered it in the street yet, although that could be a way to find polyglots in the future, I think. That, that could be that or the pointy ears. could be mm-hmm. either, either one of those things. But the, so I would the, like to ask you, Ella, okay. like, when did you first develop this interest? I was always interested in in language, and when I was a kid, I was bilingual for a couple of years before I left Germany and came back to the United States. I was living there as a small kid, and I went to German kindergarten, but I lost the German. But my I, a lot of my family is um, bilingual natively, either in Spanish or in Germany, just or in German, just because they um, have lived in and worked in other countries. Um, for example, my father lives in Germany. Um, but I always loved language in school. Most of the people in my family actually seem to really enjoy language and language learning. It's it's pretty widespread among the, all the relatives that I can think of right now. And um, I studied it in college. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a uh, math major dropout. I abandoned my applied mathematics major and switched to German, as people do. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it was like a transforming moment. I I mean, my whole my whole academic life turned. The sun came out. I was so I was the most miserable math major. I just hated it. Um, I never wanted to do my homework, and I switched to language. And overnight, it was like the sun came out. The birds started singing. Um, And so I studied. By the time I left college, I. I would say I was fluent in German, French, and Spanish, and then I didn't really use them that much for quite a few years. And just I, six years ago, I picked it up again. I just decided to one day in the park, I just decided I wanted to start learning languages, and I set up a more formal kind of project with parameters so that I would have a have a structure. I find that some structure, I don't like a lot of structure in my life, but some structure and I decided I just wanted to try a bunch of languages, not just the Western European ones that people hear, which is great. I mean, I think it's great when people study those, but I wanted to go a little bit further afield. So I tried new writing systems, new language families, and it's it's just been a great and fun, um, low-stress, high-pleasure trip over the past mm. six years with pretty much daily study across 19 different languages over the six years. And, um, you know, I forgot, I've learned a lot, I've forgotten a lot, but overall I've learned a lot more than I've forgotten, so I'm pretty happy. And is it actually forgotten or is it like in there somewhere? It's in there somewhere. I mean, I, I, well, you know, what is, I'm not sure exactly when something gets categorized as, it's partly forgotten. So here's, here's an example. When I go out and I do my four language walks in the park or whatever, I find that a lot of the lessons seem vague that I did five years ago. They seem vaguely familiar. Some, then something will seem really familiar, and then maybe a word will come up periodically where I'm like, I don't feel like I've ever heard that in my life. And that mm. happens especially with the Asian languages. They don't right. seem to have stuck in – I just don't – I don't know as much. They feel more unusual to me, and, and I can feel as though – 
they're almost totally gone from my head, but there is a residue. So I redo things. Um, I feel that that's one of the signs of a dedicated <laughs> language learner, this, um, this happiness to redo things. So I just redo things, and each mm. time um, it gets easier. Like with Arabic, I've redone the language lessons, the audio lessons I have about three times. Each time the pronunciation gets better, the memorization of the words gets better, and I... It's a, it's a, you know what, Andrew? It's a constant battle against entropy, and um, that's not a good that, word. I love that word, but it really it does feel like that. I I'm very good at forgetting. I have no illusions about that. But there's something about the process of of constant renewal and revival with words. You know, this thing mm-hmm. that connects human beings all over the world that I find really exciting and invigorating. I felt younger after I started this again six mm-hmm. years ago. I, I seriously it was like a you know, like a I felt like a fountain of youth because when do most people study languages? Usually when, when they're in high school. Sure. You know? And so it was sort of take it was like taking me back to a different time in my life and making me feel connected to that process again. And I think a lot of people who are in middle age or retired or in retirement homes they think that they're too old. That is such baloney. You can get, you can do this at any stage of life. I don't feel really any particular deficiency because I'm older than I was, you know, back in high school. I feel mm-hmm. like there, there are experiences I've had that help me to be more disciplined and relaxed and kind of um, provide my own self therapy during, you know, during moments of doubt that are actually useful. And it can be just, I, I see it as something that a lot of people um, could really enjoy late in life, and I wish more people would. That's one of my long-term missions. So this is so. There's like a double-sided why I have here, because one is the why for now, you know, for somebody uh, you know older. But the other thing that I thought about, you know, I can remember a time when I, you know, I was in uh, junior high and high school and taking language, and uh, where was, it was that, re- by the way? I'm sorry. Where was that? I grew up uh, here in uh, in New York in Bayside, Queens. Oh, in uh, I know in one of the thankfully best uh, school school districts in New York. So, the public schools were terrific. But um, one of the things I th- I'm going to say was um, a very widespread feeling, meaning I don't think it was just me, because people, other kids would like, why do we have to learn a language? That it was actually a mandatory thing to take a language. And uh, so you had to choose a language, and it was you know Spanish or French were, were the most widely uh, taught languages. Um, and when I was uh, at one point, I, I think I had wanted to learn German, and I wound up uh, they 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 weren't enough, there weren't enough other kids interested, so I wound up in Spanish. But that was the thing was like why why? And I think that the motivation. Um, was less strong for the majority of kids because it was, well, what, what am I going to do with this? And they also, the thing that stuck with me that, you know, Sp- and this is actually a question I meant to ask earlier. So in Spanish class, they taught the Spanish that you would learn in Spain, uh, but not necessarily the Spanish you would hear in New York. Did they really teach you Spanish Spanish? European Spanish? Uh, That's I'm funny. pretty sure they did, yeah. And, um, uh, I, I could be wrong. I could be misremembering. No, I think that's. I think that's possible because I think 
other people on the East Coast have told me that. Um, in California, where I grew up, there's no way you would have done that. I mean, absolutely right. not a chance in hell. So <clears throat> that's interesting. Um, so the the question of why bother? Well, the, yeah, well, yeah. The, there's a, 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 a couple of points with the. I also reminding myself of of uh, of a question I had meant to ask earlier because you're learning languages, but like here in, in if you're in the United States, or States of America and you're speaking English, everywhere you go, there's sort of a different you know a dialect is a different version. There's a, words you might not even understand if you live in the South versus the North, and I'm wondering uh, how are those. Um, and other, you know, the other languages, is, and, and, and I'm just saying that there's one kind of Spanish, and there might be another kind of Spanish if you're in Puerto Rico, or if you're in um, Mexico, or in um, the Dominican Republic, as you hear these different ways of speaking. So how is so that so now there's a, actually the kind of two separate questions, but they're related. So um, one is the how uh, how did how have you found that to be true? For languages from other countries, meaning the different version dialects mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all that, and the other thing is to get to, and it, it, we'll we'll tackle them separately. But the why? So let's let's start with the first part because I think it okay. will be easier. Um, it's in, the the dialect um, question is interesting to me because some languages are much more homogeneous than others, and one one benefit of that is that when you go to look at the learning materials for those languages, you're not all over the place. What ha- you know, you don't have 15 different choices to make, and one audio lesson sounds completely different from another. When I f- when I first decided to do this project, it was July 1st of 2009. I went to the New York Public Library, and I I was going to do Arabic first because I'd always wanted to try my hand at that. And I looked on the shelf, and there were all <laughs> I had so many choices um, mm-hmm. for different Arabic dialects. And I had no idea what to do, so. Um, I I wanted to start that day, so I picked Russian instead, <laughs> where the material where the materials at least were a lot more homogeneous. I don't actually know I don't know what the dialectical um, variation of Russian is, but I I know that when I go to a learning material, it's been very easy for me to get consistency from one to the other. If you're studying Arabic, you practically need I feel like you practically need a class to figure out how to navigate. Um, the challenges of picking a dialect and then also um managing so the if you if you study say um Egyptian Arabic which is what a lot of people do you still have this problem that the spoken dialect is not what you generally see documented in the overwhelming majority of language books so then you have these language books that are teaching you modern st- standard Arabic which is not spoken by anyone on the street but Mainly, by, mainly spoken by newscasters on television. Mm. So it's not like the the language of daily life. And then you have this other dialect that you're learning, so that you can communicate with people like normal human beings. And it's just it's it's a little overwhelming sometimes. But I I I have tried the same thing with Portuguese. There, there's quite a bit of variety. Um, I have a lot of different accents floating around my Portuguese material audio materials, and. I, I got. I used to get really stressed. I like stressed out a little bit, frustrated about that. But I'm trying. I, I've 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 simmered down, and I go with the flow more. And I try to appreciate that there there's just this tremendous range, and it's sort of fun to kind of um, dance among the varieties and try to understand what belongs with what. 
I've never really felt that as much. Even though there's a lot of variety in Spanish, too, I've never really had trouble, much trouble understanding people from different countries. Um, I, don't, I don't know exactly why why that is, but um, but if you want a simple language experience, if you go back to language learning, I'd probably um, begin with something where the materials aren't necessarily all over the place. Like, don't if you do Portuguese, don't get one book for European Portuguese and mm-hmm. one for Brazilian Portuguese because you'll lose your mind. Right. You should. You have to focus. And then, then like Spanish, uh, and I can, if you if you are listening to one of these uh, Spanish language uh, stations where they're speaking, what to me sounds a mile a minute. Does that sound clear to you? Generally, most Spanish sounds pretty clear to me. There are sometimes when I listen to TV, mm-hmm. I've noticed it feels fast to me. I don't notice that as much when I'm talking to people, and I don't know if that's because I'm right there looking at their faces or what, but Spanish is a language that generally sounds fast to me. And I, I find it really interesting when I'm playing around with audio lessons in a new language. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 don't sound slow to me, but when you get to, say, the third level of the language and then you go back to the first level and you listen to the initial lessons, you realize that you you were learning how to say, hello. Right. I am Ellen, and you sound just completely the 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 stage where you sound like a complete um, moron is a little bit, it's a little bit difficult sometimes, but it's not always so apparent to you how primitive you sound until you're at a more sophisticated uh, level. So it might just be, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, uh, do you remember uh, or do you know who Andy Kaufman was? Yeah. So Andy Kaufman had this great character which he made a you know a big living on it, the character that became his character on Taxi, and he spoke in this language that he made up. And the, I learned uh, that it, he made that language up from he, when he was a kid. He would um, there's something that predates uh, cable TV called UHF, and uh, you used to be able to get maybe you know, with this crazy little antenna you would pick up a half a signal of a UHF station. And the only signal you would ever pick up was one was Channel 47, one was Channel 21 here in New York, and 47 was the Spanish station, right? And if you were watching it, uh, all you would hear is, you know, it would just be like, what if you didn't speak Spanish, obviously? And he would watch that for hours and just listen, and, and, and his character was actually an impression of what he was listening to that he didn't understand. That's really funny. He's what an interesting person he was. I didn't know about that at all. Um, but you're reminding me of something as you're speaking, which is that um, one one of the things that I find so rewarding and beautiful about learning a new language and getting more familiar with it. And I and by the way, I think there's value in learning anything of it. it you could you could spend ten hours on it, or you could spend a thousand. It's it's all kind. Of, it all opens up a new world and connects you to people. Um, it, you know, I'm connected, for example, through the language learning community to people in countries all over the world. So I have this unmediated access to the opinions, the ideas, the sentences um, of people of all different ages from from places that I would normally in the past have just read about 
in in the newspaper and in books and and I love I love the doors that opens but also when you study just on a more technical level and you study a new language the the sounds of Spanish for example that sounds so incredibly bionically fast it's it, over time they slow down you know it's like they slowed down but it's really that your brain sped up and that's something that's really special to me and the other thing that's really special is if I try to learn a new writing system um, for example, I, I had never, I never knew the Cyrillic alphabet before I began doing this in earnest again back in 2009. And I started, I, I spent a week studying the basics of, of very basics of Russian. And then I went out to Brighton Beach and I came out of the subway stop and I could actually read some of the signs just without mm. weeks worth of work. And so if for me, if I can't read one letter and another word, it's almost like there's the the sign. I can see the sign, but it's invisible as a as a way of communicating something to me. Right. It's just it's just a graphic. But when you do just a little a little bit of work, I mean, you could spend a couple of days just studying the Arabic alphabet, and then you could go to a community with signs in Arabic, and you would be able to pick out some letters. And gradually over time, that that becomes it becomes real words to you that you know and that's a that's a magic trick for me that's just unbelievable because so many americans who don't want to study spanish they don't want to study french you know which are the most common ones um you know if you can imagine forget those for a moment and go even a step further what if you study something completely different from you then you are really being taken outside your corner of the world and um exposed to something much bigger and I, I just love that, that the the idea that none of these things are are impossible. And with the Internet, you can, you, you an individual with no money, um, absolutely no money, but Internet access, which is, you know, increasingly there for people around the world, mm-hmm. can have access through, like, free websites like Memrise.com, M-E-M-R-I-S-E.com. And I'm not on commission with any of these things, by the way. Um, it's a free product, and you can you can pick up the stuff, and then Arabic can be yours. That's cool. Yes. So did you, I haven't answered the question of why, though, have I? Yeah, and and I really uh, that that might be useful for um, I don't know if I have any young people who listen to this thing, but um, <laughs> <laughs> any 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 of the kin the kinder, you know. But um, uh, I just remember that I didn't have the motivation and I years later you know living in Washington Heights I thought to myself if they had told me back in junior high that one day I might be able to uh, speak to a, like a hot latino woman if I knew spanish as opposed to well one day you might go to spain and you will that didn't really move me you know were there not so, were there not a lot of native speakers in bayside oh no this was uh, my neighborhood was uh uh the Pretty much, you know, Jewish white uh, yeah. neighborhood, and then the other side was mostly uh, 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 Irish and Italian Catholic. Well, the why is a good question, and I think um, it's going to vary for a lot of people. It was funny one day, I don't know, a few months ago, one of the language groups, this this young guy who uh, he's maybe eighteen or nineteen, he posted he had a series of questions that he wanted to know in several languages that he was likely to encounter with tourists in his community, and they were things like, um, you're really pretty, may I have your phone number? <laughs> uh, yeah. You want to dance? You know, stuff like that. And I just burst out laughing when I saw this. 
Um, one of the greatest motivators for language learning is, of course, um, sex, romance. Um, mm-hmm. um, people feel very inspired when they're um, attracted to someone who speaks another language, um, or if they're living in another in a, in a community where there are a lot of native speakers of another language, they have a much more significant motivation. It's hard when you're in a mostly English-speaking community, I think, in a world where English is so dominant nowadays, it can be hard to feel that motivation if you don't have kind of a a natural or familial connection to foreign languages. But Mm -hmm. it can be, you know, in a city like New York, which is so diverse, it can be um, a really powerful, um, aside from being a, a powerful personal tool to meet people, um, it's much easier to make friends from other cultures if you show that you give a hoot about where they're from and mm-hmm. um, how they grew up communicating at home. I mean, even a few words. and peop- In some languages, seriously, you learn five words and people will practically adopt you. It's, really? So, yeah, I mean, they just, because their languages are so little studied, they just mm. really appreciate it. I mean, an, an example of a language where you get outsized um, appreciation for for very little knowledge. I mean, it's almost kind of embarrassing, but something like Persian, which people also refer to as Farsi. You know, you, you study yes. Persian, you learn a tiny little bit, and people are like, oh, my God, that's amazing. That's so great, because people don't bother. Um, and um, But the other thing is, languages, we have a global economy. If you're entrepreneurial and you're looking at international markets, it's such a nice, um, if you if you need to have money attached to the outcome to make it worthwhile for you, then by all means think of it that way too. I I love language for its own sake, um, for aesthetic reasons, for just personal. I don't know. It, it just gives me that glowy feeling. But if you need to attach something material to it, when you're traveling overseas and you have no clue what people around you are saying, that is a huge disadvantage. People think Americans are bores. They think um, they don't mm-hmm. know what they're, you know, what's being said about them, which is often, you know, that that is often the case. If you can suddenly pop out with, you know, Arabic or Spanish or Italian or German in the middle of a business discussion where people think you're a monoglot, which is what people are generally going to assume if you come from mm-hmm. the United States, that's a powerful tool. It's going to earn you more respect. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, even if you're just a recreational traveler, it's going to earn you a lot more hospitality and insider status and access than just wandering around the world speaking only English. I'm now having, you know, I have a lot of movie references in my life. I'm, I, I'm getting of, that impression. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of, uh, of Wayne's World. I think Wayne's World Two, where this this turns out he can speak fluent. Um, uh, I think it was Mandarin Chinese. And oh, it was a I great about great that. scene. You have a actually. better memory. You know what? You should study language because you have a much better memory than I do. Well, I I don't know. I, some people I think say you that might. I really you should check it out. We could check in. We can assign you a language and check in in a year and see how it's sure. going. Sure, I, I, I could be up with that. Long term okay, game. So it turned out he spoke. Oh, but that's often a funny thing in movies, right? Or like in series, in, in a dramatic or in a dramatic movie, the character suddenly speaks the language, and it's like the whole situation changes. Well, there was a very famous uh, scene with a, a, a James Cagney speaking Yiddish to a, a cab driver. 
Really? Oh. Yeah. I mean, I want to see that. Amazing. What yeah. movie is that? Uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but if you just look up James Cagney Yiddish, you will find the, the, find it on YouTube in two seconds. And okay, I don't I'm know. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Oh, can I mention one more thing about English? Do we have time yes, for me to? Yes, okay. we only have a few more minutes, believe it or not. Okay. Oh, well, time flies. Uh, this is like my I could t- I mean I could talk about I could talk about commas for 24 hours. So I'm a comma comma chameleon. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, comma um, comma down dooby doo down down is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so what I but what I was going to say is yeah. that people who know English, it's like um in the in the language barter economy, Native English speakers are incredibly valuable. You can have sat there at home and never done your Spanish homework, and you have something that a lot of people in other parts of the world want and are willing to trade you for. So if you have never learned another language and you want to start now, when if you go on to a conversation exchange website, like there's actually a website called conversationexchange.com, which I've used. There are a bunch of them like that. You and you put in there that you speak English and you want to learn. You want to have a Spanish partner or a French partner or mm. a Persian partner or an Arabic partner. There's going to be such a disproportionate um, flow in the other direction of people looking for English because it's the tool, you know, it's the global economic language and and everyone wants to improve their skills. You can. It's like having gold in the bank and people will talk to you. You can practice online with Skype or whatever you want to do and. Um, it's just a great way to advance your skills. It's much easier than going the other direction. I mean, I, I get a lot of requests from people who want me to help them with English. Um, just knowing English, I could learn, like, if I if my brain could handle it, I could learn 500 languages this year just having language exchanges with people. And that is free, you know. You don't have to pay for that. You just That's trade great. time. Wow. So, uh, in the last we literally have two uh, and a half minutes. So, uh, here's a good time to tell us again. I'll have you tell us what what you're up to in, in, in next uh, month and and where people can find you and all that good stuff. Okay, um, that sounds great. So, my my project two weekends from now, I'm co-organizing with um, two wonderful English polyglots, Richard Simcott and Alex Rawlings. Um, that is the Polyglot Conference NYC 2015. The website is polyglotconference.com. It is open to anyone with an interest in language. You do not have to be a polyglot, um, and it's, there's, no, there's no test, and people are not going to be jerks to you if you don't speak ten languages. It's a very warm and inviting um, environment just full of language lovers. You can come. You can listen to great speakers on everything from forensic linguistics to, um, to uh, you know, Oh, I can't. Even, I mean, there were so many topics happening to language anxiety, which a lot of people, language learning anxiety, which a lot of people have. Um, and then I also have a blog about learning languages in New York called Words and Worlds of New York, which is at myname.com, ellenjoven.com. Yes, that's ellenjoven.com, not myname.com. Okay, folks. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much for helping up. me communicate more effectively. And uh, that the the blog link I did not have, but I will add that uh, the other two the, the links for the, uh, the 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 conference and your websites are on the show page. And uh, I would like to thank you very very much, Ellen. This has been a great hour, and uh, I I'm, I know I'm learning stuff. Everything anybody listening will have learned 
What do you think? Well, it was really great to talk language with you, and I learned a lot about movie history too. Yes, and, and that 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 could be the top of of another show. Perhaps perhaps we'll talk about French movies. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, and so I will say uh, to you, which one? Which I shall I pick? Here we go. Bonsoir. <laughs> and once Very again, good. we must hail Caesar. Bonum whisper. Oh my gosh. I just I just have so much fun with these little with these little things. So again, thank you everyone, and uh, I will be back soon with my next coach's corner. I can be found at myfuture.coach.com on Twitter at Coach Andrew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you soon. Thank you and good night. Good night. <laughs>